0: welcome to the innovation and a digital enterprise podcast where we interview successful visionaries and leaders giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations
1: today we're welcoming desiree vargas wrigley to the show Desiree is vice president at P33, an organization that helps underrepresented founders get the support they need to launch and thrive. She is currently leading a new DEI initiative called Tech Rise with large corporate partners to bring capital, community, and customers to Black and Latinx founders. Prior to P33, Desiree founded Parachute, the largest aggregator of family friendly activities in the world, and co founded Give Forward one of the world's first crowdfunding platforms that helped users raise over $200 million. Desiree holds a Bachelor of Arts in Latin American Studies from Yale University. Welcome to the show, Desiree. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Desiree, if you don't mind, please share with our listeners a little bit about your role at P33 and your current initiative, TechRise.
2: So for those listeners not familiar with P33, we are a nonprofit that was started by uh, Penny Pritzker, former Secretary of Commerce under Obama, and then Kelly Walsh from the Civic Committee, and Chris Gladwin, one of our unicorn founders here in Chicago, really with a vision for how do we help make Chicago an innovation hub and kind of reclaim the stature that we had in the space of 1933, which is the last time that we hosted the world's exhibition and so, with that lens, we look at where are the areas that Chicago has a differentiated advantage in terms of innovation. And so, you know, there are a few different pillars that we look at. One is around deep tech and life sciences, where we have a ton of research, but not a lot of monetization. Another is around our tech talent and the pipeline that we have of amazing universities and city colleges, and making sure all of our students of the future are, are skilled to take on the jobs of the future. And then also, You know, to have an innovation hub, you really have to have a thriving startups ecosystem. And so that's where I work. TechRise is focused on how do we make sure that Chicago becomes the best city in the world for Black and Latinx founders from a funding perspective, from an access perspective, and from a network and knowledge perspective. So TechRise is um, kind of in its very first phase. It is right now a series of 30 pitch competitions that we do every Friday from noon to one central where we invite five black and Latinx founders to the stage to pitch their ideas in front of judges who deliberate live and choose a winner. And every week we deploy somewhere between 20 and $50,000 to help these founders go from you know idea stage to exit hopefully. So we've done 14 pitch competitions so far. We've put about $320,000 into you know, founders' businesses and we're seeing really incredible results already.
0: That's really great stuff.
2: How did these uh, founders find out about you? Well, it's a combination of things. At first, we did a lot of LinkedIn stalking to just see who has founder, CEO, you know, in their title. But as you know, a lot of, you know, first-time founders or idea stage founders are are moonlighting. They have day jobs and they're not putting us on LinkedIn. So we definitely relied on our partners like 1871, Matter, Mhub, and other business service organizations like Sunshine Enterprises and North Lawndale Employment Network and many of the chambers of commerce to help kind of tell the story. And then we've been really aggressive on LinkedIn in general, just trying to get the word out about what we're doing using social channels to welcome founders in because we have a pretty strong thesis, I think, around the fact that there are many Black and Latinx founders who have been in our ecosystem for several years. And the problem is that traditionally founders of color start with somewhere around five to $35,000 in access to capital when they're building their businesses but most white founders start with something more like 110 120,000 and that delta is actually you know building an mvp getting into the market and so it takes black and latinx founders three times as long which makes them less attractive to angels and vcs because they don't have the kind of the same trajectory as their white counterparts and so our thesis is you know partially can we help give acceleration capital to the founders that are already in market but then also thinking about how many people are sitting you know, behind a screen somewhere or behind a checkout stand at Target or at home with kids who have really great ideas, but don't necessarily have personal network or knowledge or capital to be able to launch those businesses? And so how can we kind of open the top of the funnel, so to speak, of our tech ecosystem by inviting people with great ideas to come
0: and join us on the stage? Consider your very unique background, being one of two uh, Latinas here in Chicago who were able to raise over $1 million in, in funding what are some of the things that you've learned that have helped you identify and focus attention uh, in areas that maybe traditionally weren't focuses it
2: is kind of a shockingly sad number isn't it that there you know at least in the last decade and a half there've only been two latinas that have raised over a million dollars and that number is reflected across you know our african american and black women founder community too so it's it's not unique to latinas what i think has happened and i've lived this experience you know i present as white i Went to Yale, so I have a pedigree that looks familiar to a lot of VCs and angels, and I still really struggle to raise money for both of my businesses. And I think the you know the similarity between GiveForward and Parachute was that both times I was solving a problem that was unfamiliar to a lot of the older white male VCs that I was pitching. So GiveForward was a crowdfunding platform for you know personal needs before there was Kickstarter, before there was IndieGoGo, and it was very hard for. A very wealthy investor to understand what it's like to be five hundred dollars short one month because of a medical bill. Similarly, you know, most male investors have never spent three hours looking for floor hockey for a seven-year-old. So I just didn't really understand the problem to be solved. And I think that's the same problem that founders of color face, kind of across the board. Because usually, first-time founders solve a problem that is meaningful to us, right? That we understand in our lives. And if it's something that's too unfamiliar, or VCs ha- or angels haven't heard it enough. They can't contextualize the problem, so they don't understand how big it can be. And so they're left kind of trying to believe what the founder says without a lot of context or proof. And if the founder's out of network for that investor, then they're even less likely to be able to have enough confidence to invest their money. So I think you know one of the biggest opportunities in Chicago is actually to break down some of those previous barriers. And so you know TechRise is more than just a pitch competition. We actually introduce every founder that comes on stage to an existing seed or series A founder in our ecosystem that can hopefully open some doors for angels and VCs to build some network connection. And then, you know, we live stream this on YouTube every week, partially to bring visibility for the founders, but truly another thing that we're trying to do is create pattern recognition for our funding community. And so they can see similarities around the problem to be solved. So they understand that like, you know, the hair care market for People of color is a massive industry and there's so many different ways to come at it. And it's not going to just be one winner and you know, things like that that they just don't personally know or have lived. And we hope that can help change some of the challenges that founders have faced. But we also think that having this vehicle that is live streamed is a way for us to recruit more founders. So, you know, we encourage every founder who's pitching to invite all their friends and family to watch. And, you know, once you've seen someone that looks like you, that sounds like you, doing something like this, you're just more inclined to say, well, if they can do it, maybe so can I. And, and that's really one of the goals about welcoming more potential entrepreneurs into
0: this experience. Having started a business, and part of the reason why I was able to start a business is my father started a business. But growing up, you're still like, I don't know how he was able to do that. It's still pretty scary stuff, but it definitely makes it so much more available when it's somebody from your neighborhood, somebody you know, somebody you know, went to your high school. I think those kinds of things, they really have an impact of like, oh, okay. With the LinkedIn and the connections and network, and I, you know, I do think the network is really the most valuable thing when it comes to encouraging and creating success for any entrepreneur. Is like, you've got to have other people who will keep encouraging you, getting you to go. It's a hard business, right? As you very well know.
2: No, absolutely. And one of the things that you mentioned that I also want to note is that you know, it's not just people who look like you from a race perspective, right? If you are Black and just graduated with an MBA from Booth, you have access to network. It's still going to be very hard, but you're in a different place than a founder who is in Inglewood trying to start a tech business, right? And so it's also important that there is familiarity in the backgrounds of these founders and that their stories, their personal stories are coming through in these pitches so that, you know, you can see that, you don't need to have an Ivy League education to make your dreams a reality. Like you just need to understand the path towards making it happen and where the resources exist in our city. And for a long time, we've concentrated those startup resources in the Loop, River North, Fulton Market. But what I think you know, COVID has allowed us to do is really move everything to virtual and allows it to more easily include people who previously were excluded because you know they had a busy day job. There's no way they can take the train into you know, downtown to do a pitch competition, but this, you know, over a lunch hour virtually means that we can welcome people from all over the state.
0: You know, one of the things we, one of the topics we talked about before this and I, getting into that complexity, right? The moving fast. You mentioned, you know, access to capital being critical to be able to fund to move faster, right? So the five to thirty grand versus over a hundred grand, which, you know, to your point, you you can get. You know some kind of mvp or a prototype done or something where there's a physical representation and that lack of capital from your standpoint like that speed that need for speed why is that so important
2: yeah so for a while now i've been talking about the need for us to fund founders faster and i know that as a founder myself i wanted that because i want to get back to working on the business and there's a real you know of course internal desire at a company to make that happen. But from an ecosystem perspective it's actually crucial that we accelerate the speed of funding for chicago and the midwest like if you compare founders to founders here to founders in silicon valley there are a lot of founders who are on their third or fourth company by the time that they're in their early 30s and they probably raise money for all of them and the amount of learning that happens in that short period of time and the teams that they build around those problems who then go on and help solve other problems you know that life cycle requires Funding early so you can fail or scale fast. And if you don't do that, what we end up with is what we have in Chicago, which is really great, high potential, eager, gritty founders who grind for four to five years. And we take their most productive, passionate years, and we we kind of ruin them, right? Because they get so tired of trying to find people who will fund their ideas that by the time we actually fund the companies, only the ones that are like the hardiest and grittiest survive. And usually have meaningful revenue but that means that we've pretty much like siphoned off a lot of great potential early on in that life cycle of a founder that is unlikely to come back in and so we're actually wasting talent within our tech ecosystem by creating such a long funding line you know our, you know, our life cycle like if we could get people to get a million to three million dollars in the door in the first 12 to 18 months and they could figure out quickly whether or not they have a viable business model and you know customer acquisition makes sense, If they don't, then they fail and they go do something else, go work for someone else. The team that they built goes and brings value somewhere else. Maybe someone spins off and starts a secondary version of that first company, but that's just not happening in Chicago yet because it takes too long for people to get that first stage of funding, unless they really are kind of like a tiger by the tail cameo story. Um, But, you know, those are, they're called unicorns for a reason. Like they're kind of mythically seemingly impossible. Of course, there are 11 of them this year. So it's not so impossible
0: it seems more likely every day, doesn't it? It's amazing how much that's going on. You mentioned cameo, and cameo for many of those people that was their second one as well. There's a straight line from a previous organization for many of the folks that are there. To your point of like, and this is what I hear, and I I, I love to get your perception on you know the idea that like one you know versus Silicon Valley, Chicago's success rate is significantly higher, which seems consistent with what you're saying like so hey we're the rough we've got to get, there's a much longer process it's more rigorous so you're gonna have more successes because the stronger are only going to get through this right the ones who are right you know but that has that other downside of like some of the other ones aren't going to make it and they may have had a a bigger success longer term if they just were' given a little bit more money at the beginning so i i, I hear what you're saying when it comes to You know, the people in Chicago, like the VC, the money in Chicago is, hey, if you're making a profit, you'll get money, right? In Silicon Valley, it's like, if you're making a profit, you're probably doing it wrong.
2: Yeah. Or you waited too long to raise, right? Right. Um, Exactly. The the story there. You know, this comes from a little bit of personal experience, but also just watching other founders. So with Give Forward, we could not raise a dollar for the first many years. Uh, People kind of laughed me out of the room saying, why would anyone give online without a tax deduction? I don't think there's really a market for this business it doesn't sound like a business it sounds like a nonprofit. and then you know fast forward 10 years and it is a multi-billion dollar industry with the jobs act behind it and crowdfunding when i was pitching it you know didn't exist as a term or in people's minds and if chicago had backed that earlier you know would we have beaten gofundme probably because we were so much farther ahead I went to breakfast with those guys and they candidly told me they stole our business model. So that is an example. And it's not sour grapes. I mean, I, we got out-executed, that happens. But the fact that we do have great founders building like bold, visionary businesses here and the ones that aren't food delivery or FinTech or SaaS, like they feel like they have to leave Chicago in order to get the support and resources that they need, which is the exact opposite of what we need in our ecosystem. We need people with great ideas staying here. And if you have a social app you should be able to build it here alongside building the next enterprise level SaaS solution.
1: So you're giving so many resources and such a great network to these founders. I'm just curious, you know, when when you were a founder of not only Give Forward, but Parachute as well. I mean, what if any resources did you have?
2: So Give Forward, we were building in like 2007, 2008. So this, that you know predates 1871. Um, there was really the CEC existed, but it was kind of a good old boys club and felt very off limits to me and my co-founder and neither one of us was from chicago so that made it even harder so we really just you know i waited tables at night he blogged on the side and that's how we bootstrapped the company for 2 years and it wasn't until we hit a million dollars in transactions that we felt confident enough to kind of go back out into the market and at that time the first generation of tech stars chicago so it was called accelerate labs was launching and i knew about it because i previously worked at the Kauffman Foundation, and I knew these incubators existed. And it was the first kind of visible one in Chicago. So I thought we should apply, even if we got left out of the room again. And it was just just so happened that Sam Yegan, um, the founder of OKCupid okay and later CEO of Match and ShopRunner, he had just had to solve this problem for his assistant who needed to raise money for her sixth son. And so he personally got what we were trying to do. And I I don't know if it was just him, but he you know got us into the program. And that is where we got our first kind of Level of support. So we had a mentor named Tim Kroskopf, who, you know, didn't have experience in our industry, but really believed in the vision. But honestly, like there was still no money coming to us. And it wasn't until David Cohen from Techstars in Boulder saw us on stage and said he would put money in that Chicago investors actually started to say they would too. And so it took an outsider to fund what is now, you know, a multi billion dollar industry opportunity. And I think that's happening over and over again behind the scenes. And it's happening to founders of all colors, to be candid, but it's especially happening to founders solving problems in the consumer space and founders of color. Wow. But there are a lot of resources now. I'm like, I don't know. There's so many places now to get advice and mentorship. I love Techstars, of course. I think you know the long jump community is doing an incredible job of bringing together operators. There's a tool called Eureka that brings together mentorship. There's just so much out there now that didn't exist back then, but it's still sometimes hard to navigate as a first-time founder.
1: If you don't mind me asking, you know, just with Give Forward, was was there something personally in your life that inspired you to, to found that?
2: It was a couple of things. One um, Hurricane Katrina happened when I was at the Kauffman Foundation. And when you work at a foundation, you, you know, often pay attention to kind of overhead and admin and charges and where the dollars are going. And I felt that, you know, individual donors didn't have a say in where their money was going and that if people knew that they could give directly to people trying to rebuild after Katrina, that. You know people would individually probably give a lot more. And so I thought that that's a problem with philanthropy that needs to be solved. And then I saw um, a change jar at a convenience store for a baby that needed a heart transplant. And I was like, if this was happening online, this you know wouldn't be a quarter at a time. It would be two hundred and fifty dollars at a time. But if I'm really being honest with myself, I think a lot of the heart behind the why for me was that you know I was raised by a single mom that didn't go to college until I went to college, and we were lower middle class and in- in every way. And I remember what it was like for her struggling to pay bills. And I remember one time her saying, I just wish someone would drop $300 in the mailbox. And like, that is what I built. It, we literally would send surprise checks. And in the beginning, they were only $300. Later they became 30,000 um, at 1.1 1. 1 million. But I think, you know, that's what happens with founders. Like you bring in your personal experience and it inevitably influences how you solve real world problems.
0: That's awesome. Great story. Thanks. <laughs> so Desiree, incredible story. And obviously it shows through you're such a genuine and authentic person. When it comes to engaging the future entrepreneurs, which as an entrepreneur, I can't but want more people to have that experience. It's, it's transformative. There's no better self-help program in the world than you know, being a founder because it's all your fault right? Everything. Uh, there's <laughs> the no one to blame. <laughs> the good and the bad, right? And it's a great source of humility at all times. You know, what are some of the things, you know, we've got a lot of people we've talked about that, uh, you know, are choosing to leave Chicago. They've got great experience, great education. They come from our great communities. Uh, you mentioned the, you know, the the coin thing on the counter. Like that That to me is a totally Chicago thing where neighborhoods, pull left. They, they support each other. People get sick. They have fundraisers. There's donations, all that kind of thing. These are very, I think, very Midwestern values, very Chicago kind of behaviors. And obviously we want to keep these great young people here in Chicago. So you know, what are, what are some of the things that you think we need to be doing or are doing and that you think more people should be made aware of to help encourage those people to stay here and to help develop and and restore our city and build it up and continue to make it great?
2: Yeah, it's a great question and one that we are very focused on at P33. You know, how do we bring back the boomerangs who went to college here, you know, grew up here, but have left to go pursue tech careers in New York or in the Bay Area or anywhere else? How do we bring that that brain power and that energy and all the skills that they've learned? But then also thinking about we have you know, every year, students going to University of Chicago, Northwestern, U of I's computer science program, those are you know, three of the best schools and programs in the world. And we want to make sure that that talent stays here. And then at the same time, we have some incredible city colleges that are focused on technology and training students in the jobs of the future. But there is still a bit of a gap between where they end their education and what the skills are that these the companies in our community need. And so how can we help those students get fully prepared for the jobs of the future. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about talent and it's either like founder talent or it's tech talent, but I really think that they're part of the same spectrum. And that if you are interested in tech, even a little, that you have the potential to observe an opportunity that is worth pursuing. And you might not do it as a solo founder. You might put together a team of people that work with you at another company and then go build something together. But I think that part of it is just modeling that, right? And so when we have companies that do really well and have big exits or IPOs, what that inevitably does is create an opportunity to kind of put new cash into new businesses, either as angel investors or as founders who can kind of self-fund or bootstrap through that option pool that they've been able to exercise. And so, you know, I think that there's a level there of creating energy around if you've been at Cameo and you've done a killer job there, like what's next for you? What are you going to go do? And that creates actually a brand opportunity for Chicago that I think has been missing. So my long answer to your short question is really, so if the Bay Area is like the Hollywood of the tech startup scene, like how can we make sure that Chicago is known by students as an incredible place to build their careers? In some ways, it's potentially similar to what's happened in comedy, right? Like people from all over the country and the world come to Second City and come to our improv scene because it is world-class and people go on to go be on shows and in the movies later, but they come here to have that kind of deep enriching ecosystem where people can kind of do things together and learn from each other. And I think that early career tech people can have that exact same experience in Chicago. And we have the very distinct advantage that Chicago is the most diverse city in the country with over 60% of our city being Black and Latinx. That means, you know, that we actually are most representative of of those communities. And so I believe we can be a draw for students, you know, from elsewhere also to come here and pursue those careers. But I also think it's the job of the startup community to do a better job of recruiting students. Right now, most of us are so busy building our businesses, we post something on LinkedIn or built in Chicago, and then just hope that these early career kids are going to find these roles and it's just not realistic. So we need to kind of collectively go to these job fairs and talk about our startup community as a whole so that they recognize you know, how much they can learn from coming into one of our companies early. And I think that's you know, work to be done that probably still hasn't been solved for.
0: I was lucky to have family that was in technology. And I think that's a big part of it, just the introduction at that point of like, when you're thinking about careers at high school and college stage and having somebody say, Hey, look, you might want to give this a shot. Right. And just to have somebody to be able to like open the door, even show you that it's possible or right. It's not just a bunch of weirdos hanging out in the closet, <laughs> not talking to humans. Right. Like, cause I, I, with entrepreneurship and with technology, I think it's very much like uh, you know, the movie Ratatouille of anybody can cook, but it's really, you know, there's certain people, And they're everywhere, right? It's not like it's this demographic or this school or this right community, but they're very, they're very specific people who have the capabilities, who have these talents, but they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I I think what you're doing is amazing, spread a wider net, create greater growth, right? Infuse all of these neighborhoods with potential contributing to the greater good of of Chicago and creating greater growth for everybody. It's, it's really an important thing.
2: Thank you. I agree. And I, you know, you noted my my major at the beginning in the intro, and I guess I just want to remind people of what that is. I mean, I was a Latin American studies major. I was not a tech or business major. And I don't know how to code. And I am still a tech founder here in Chicago. And I think a lot of students think that tech is binary. You're either you know, into computer science mm-hmm. and programming, or you're somewhere over here in the rest of the world. And the reality is that Every company now is a tech company, whether you want it to be or not, even like the corner store. And there's so many efficiencies to be gained. And in terms of finding your customers, like you rely on tech no matter what you're doing. And so even artists, I mean, really, truly everything now, tech is eating the world in the best and worst ways. And so you know, I really hope that listeners or you know young people think about the role of technology is going to play in their careers to kind of no matter what, even if they decide to or, or not to go into a traditional tech industry but also thinking through the skill sets of what tech companies need. Like They need storytellers because they have to go and pitch these businesses and make commercials. They need great project managers, people who are super organized, who can keep the trains running on time. They don't need to write any kind of code. They just need to be great communicators. They need excellent writers who can do copy that is compelling and mathematicians and you know, accountants who can help them with financial modeling and optimizing revenue. So there's just so many ways to enter tech that isn't just being an engineer.
0: Absolutely. I went to a small liberal arts college and uh, I started out as an engineer, but I'll tell you, I think it was a competitive advantage to have a liberal arts background that we don't build software for the computers. And many of the founders, more of the, you know, the jobs and the gates and, and they've all recognized the need to get these more robust people as opposed to somebody who really is an engineering wizard. Because that's becoming less of the job than it is about the solution, right? Like who are we building this for? Why are we, that's a big transformation in a lot of the software industry of like, you have to understand the customer. Everybody needs to understand the customer. And and like you mentioned, you know, diversity means you have a greater horizon of, of empathy for a larger market. It's such a critical component that if you've got an engineer you're gonna ask them to fill some gaps there. If they can't empathize with the person who's going to be using and consuming their software, it's not going to work. So I couldn't agree more that everybody can be in tech. There's a role. Historically, IT would always say we're here to support the business, right? The business quotes the business. Uh, And what I, I like to say is you're the growing part of the business. The business isn't like your neighbor. It's not like your idiot brother who lives in the basement. You've got to, you know, you're the business and you need to start embracing that. Right. And so I think you're you're spot on.
2: And tech is changing, right? The no code, low code launch is now a real thing. And there are so many third-party tools that can do a lot of the work and the heavy lifting of what you used to have to build entirely custom. And so you know what used to take a 10-person a development team, maybe now can be one front-end developer on top of existing code structure. So you as a founder with an idea can go from zero to you know minimum viable product with sometimes 25 to 30 grand if you can build on top of an existing framework or, or platform. And so the people that have closed off their ideas because they just don't know how to even get started or where to go, I think have self-selected out of tech. But Tech is asking them to come back in because tech is building tech for the non-technical founders. So,
1: Desiree, who's been your inspiration through all this? And Patrick and I also like to ask, you know, what what type of mentors you've had?
2: Yeah, I have had the great fortune of having many mentors along this journey. And some of them are, you know, moral support and some of them are. Of the nuts and bolts of running and growing a business. I know I mentioned Sam Yeagan earlier, but he's been probably my longest standing mentor and one that I can continuously go to for questions about kind of structure and fundraising and is just kind of always available in in the the kindest and most generous way. Paul Purcell, one of my most recent board members from Continental Advisors, brings in such a different perspective and helps me kind of recognize how big the world can be. and, And those are you know two of my more immediate, but then I've also been part of a CEO kind of peer mentorship group for seven years and being able to witness. um, And I was by far the, I was definitely in a weight class well way above my rank or whatever. That's a lot of mixed metaphors, but they were more experienced founders and operators working on bigger businesses. But I was lucky enough to be in the room and watch them go through very similar challenges to me, just at a different scale and be able to provide thoughts of how I would handle it or, ways that I've kind of seen something similar play out. And then of course having their guidance and support during some of our challenging times. You know, if, if you look at my LinkedIn, you'll see that I went from founder CEO to chief strategy officer at Give Forward. And you know, that was a transition that I did with, you know, the CEO group. And they really discouraged me from giving up the CEO seat. But I was at a place kind of mentally where I was at my complete limit on stress. And I you know, just felt like maybe someone else could grow the company faster than I could. We tripled every year, then we doubled and my board wasn't as impressed with the doubling. And it, you know, it was a really tough decision. And one that I since regret, I wish I'd listened to my CEO group and just, you know, stayed the course, but it was a part of my journey and learning. And without that peer mentorship group, I'm not sure I would have rebounded as well as I did after that.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure you're asked for advice all the time and, and, I guess what advice do you give now, knowing that you've been through this yourself or, or maybe said differently, what do you wish you would have known?
2: I think that it's impossible to like wrap up all the the you know to-do's and not to do's of a 15-year startup career. But I think one of the most important lessons is actually kind of counter to what we were talking about before, but is that you can't take too much credit for when things go right or when things go wrong. And one of my very first mentors told me that too, because there's so much that goes into things going right. It's timing in the market. It is meeting the right people. It is the right idea at the right time with the right people on your team and the right amount of funding. It needs to be this like perfect storm um, in a good way. But when things go wrong, all of those things can you know be the cause too. And you know, for example, Give Forward was on a great trajectory and then Facebook changed the algorithm and all of our content suddenly got pushed way, way, way down the feed. And we lost 50% of our traffic overnight. I don't know if we could have anticipated that, so, you know, you can't blame yourself too much and you can't take too much credit. And it's really just about finding your path towards that North star and being able to attack pretty quickly to get back on track when needed. So I guess don't be too hard on yourself. Is really, don't be too proud of yourself either when it goes right. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Like, I, I agree a hundred percent, but, and I think this is a challenge for a lot of like younger entrepreneurs, like your emotions, your, your ability to like get hot, use that emotion to create action is one of your best assets of like, you're going to use that to fire people up and activate them and get them moving. But you're right. There's that, you got to modulate the amplitudes on that wavelength of like, I coach some people on leadership skills. And one of the things I focus on is like your emotions are really a great asset, right? If you got that, you can burn hot. It's sweet, right? You've got to be able to do that to get groups. I use the metaphor of like uh, Cyclops and X-Man, right? If he's not wearing his little visor thing, it's destroying everything, right? But you gotta put the visor on and then you can focus that emotion specifically to where it needs to go as opposed to destroying waste to everything. But then there's the other, the self-talk and like the making it through the downtimes of like, you know, you ride those highs and like you're a super person and then you're you're the worst person. And, and this is the thing I, I see with almost everybody not just founders or entrepreneurs, but people who are really setting audacious goals that always have that imposter syndrome, right? Of like, why did I think I could ever do this? And it's like, because you can, right? And you just, you had a setback, pick it up.
2: No, I completely agree. And I mean, one of the reasons I think that certain personality types love this is because the highs are so high. I mean, having done other careers, it is incomparable to anything else, right? When you hit a certain milestone on customer acquisition, or you close a round of funding, or you get to be on Shark Tank. There's these moments where you're like, this is so incredible, and it's hard to communicate to people who haven't gotten to experience it. And I think the nuance of what I was saying was more about the blame and the credit. Like, yes, technically, me closing a deal with Mark Cuban on TV was me killing it, right? I had a great pitch. He said, yes, it was the second biggest deal on Shark Tank at that point. And the reality is, one, a lot of people helped me prepare for that. And the stars had to align in many ways for me to even get that opportunity. I just happened to be the first pitch of the day, which means that they were fresh and excited. Like there's so many things that were out of my control that contributed to me being able to have the successful outcome. And having done a lot of kind of executive coaching for myself, I know, mean, hiring a coach and trying to be more kind of analytical around when we hit those highs like what's going on what's going right and when we're hit those lows you know what did i do to contribute to that but also what were the external forces and trying to be less emotional about the observation is i think a crucial skill of entrepreneurs that you develop over time and so i guess another piece of advice related to that is just like making sure that you reflect on like why are we winning and why did we lose right here so that you can kind of constantly be improving that's
0: awesome I think I couldn't agree more that whole why are we winning instead of like, oh my God, we got to figure it out, right? You no, know, there's luck.
2: I mean, a quote about when opportunity meets preparation, I completely agree with that, but I actually think there's a third element and it includes optimism. And so I say that to my teams a lot, that like you have to come in with the right kind of energy to be able to create the luck, right? You have to be prepared to receive the luck when it comes. So the opportunity comes and you are capable of receiving it. But well, you have to do it with like, the energy and the positive, like long-term vision of what this means. And then the luck can happen. And and once you get on this road and then people say it all the time, it's like, it's amazing. Once I started telling people what I was doing, how many people came into my life that just like happened to be able to open a path for me. And it's like, that's because you brought optimism and preparation to this, this opportunity. And so, you know, I think that's it.
0: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your experience, your wisdom, your vision, your, uh, your goals, sharing what's, what's going on with P33. And obviously, uh, we're pulling for you. And if there's anything we can do to help, please let us know.
2: Thanks for having me. It was a lovely way to spend the afternoon.
0: So we also wanted to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us.
2: And if you'd like
1: to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com/podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or
0: wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante Thirty Two.